Guten Tag and Ahoy! Yes, it's that time of the week when we get all spooky for you because today is the 7th of August in the year 2020. Or in my world, day 150 of the apocalypse. As per normal, we will give you the lowdown on free paranormal places you can visit during this lurgy lockdown. I normally at this point give a roundup of the news so we know where is safe. But I think we can all safely assume that if it's in England, it's not safe, with the infection rate rising every day. So please be careful, make sure you're wearing masks all the time. In fact, cover yourself with masks. I'm currently wearing a mask as underwear right now, just in case. Failing that, cover yourselves in gloves and alcohol gel. The greatest Halloween costume ever. From day one of Covid, the human custard pie that is Boris Johnson has been told what to do by our Prime Minister Dominic Cummings. And all of it has been wrong. Now we seem to be all blaming each other rather than the people who caused the problem. So the best thing to do is make sure that you look after yourself and stay safe. And if we all do that, perhaps one day we'll get back to some normal ghost hunting, if there is such an expression. So instead of another rant about how useless the Conservatives are, let's get on to our first destination. And this week, let's hope we can get some Scottish and Irish destinations so we can be safe when spook spotting. And luckily, first of all, we have Bomir Heath, Shropshire. All right, not exactly Scotland or Ireland, but uh, a relatively safe venue nevertheless, as we're heading to the Heathland. Bomir Heath, or Bomir, B-O-M-E-R-E. Well, actually, we're looking for a small road between the Heath and Walford near the railway bridge. There's a report from 2005 which looks intriguing and worth more investigation. There was a couple driving near here when they saw a small elderly lady dressed in grey and wearing a headscarf. This woman defied all elderly stereotypes by running across the road ahead of them. They described the scene as rather weird, as it looked like the woman's clothing was in slow motion, as she looked wispy and almost floating. The strangest element was that when describing what they saw, the driver said the elderly lady crossed the road from the left-hand side, whilst the passenger saw it cross from the right-hand side. So... Stay in the car and keep driving, because at last we're heading to Bonar Bridge, or Bona Bridge, in the Highlands, that's B-O-N-A-R. Yes, the word Highlands means we are finally in the plague-free lands of the north. We are all over the wall into the ice kingdom that is Scotland. Sadly, it's an old legend, but I'm determined to get more Scottish spooks in here at the site of Bonar Bridge. There is a railway line. This line did not exist at the time of the sightings, and what we may have is a time slip because the witnesses claim to have seen a train go past them. Bonby, Lincolnshire. Bonby is a small village, that's B-O-N-B-Y, in North Lincolnshire. According to a census in 2011, it only has a population of about 532. So as you can see, it's not exactly a sprawling metropolis. But in our research, we found these quiet little villages often have more ghost stories per square foot than larger towns and cities. But if we wish to see this ghost, we do not even need to be looking at the little village. Instead, we need to look up. In recent years, this ghost has been spotted, so we stand a relatively good chance as it's still active. And what is it, I hear you shout? We are currently looking for an Avro Lancaster, or in other words, for the non-aviation experts amongst us, a big old plane. One witness on the 24th of August in 2015 said that it was flying so low over the treetops that he thought it was going to crash into a field. On reflection, he realised that the aeroplane was also silent. Perhaps they were flying to a much safer country, that being Scotland! Bonchester Bridge in the Borders. 
Yes, at last, back to the relative safety of Scotland, where as of today, it has been almost a month since anyone died of Covid, and the infection rate is so low, it's difficult to count it. But can we stay safe? For all we know, we may be attacked at any minute. And what is it that may attack us? Well, obviously, uh, a legion of Roman soldiers, as they have been spotted marching along from the direction of Chester's along the A6088. So, quickly, let us escape back to our phantom plane and fly south across the sea to foreign shores, or at least to... Bonchurch on the Isle of Wight. As far as I'm concerned, it's a foreign shore. You have to get on a ferry to an island, and an island that a few weeks ago reported there have been no new cases of Covid in the last week, and the island is free of it. So please, English holidaymakers, don't go reinfecting this beautiful little island. We have no intention of undoing their great work in eradicating the disease just to find some ghosts. It is a fantastically haunted place, and there are many books about the ghosts here, including one that we can search for on Bonchurch High Street. Yet again, this is a story in a smuggling hotspot, so the ghosts may be an invention to keep prying eyes away. The village is said to be home to a phantom coach and horses passing through the village, and as we say, smugglers would make up these stories to stop anyone who saw them questioning them, as they would run away instead. However, in recent years, the coach and horses has had an upgrade, as people report hearing a car drive past them when there's no vehicle in sight. And now we have a biggie for you. Yes, we are finally heading to Borley in Essex. Well, we have a mighty task ahead of us. How do we summarise the case of Borley Rectory, possibly one of the most famous tales of hauntings ever to be told? Yet the building no longer exists, so there's not much point going into too much detail, and the ghosts we are looking for are not necessarily the ghosts that haunted the rectory, so here follows the quickest summary of the famous tale. The first major stories of any form of paranormal activity come from 1863, when locals claimed they heard disembodied footsteps in the house. On the 28th of July 1900, four daughters of the rector, Henry Dawson Ellis Bull, claimed to have seen the ghost of a nun about 40 yards from the house. They do not seem to have been too scared as they attempted to communicate with the spook, at which point it disappeared. Various other reports start to come in from here onwards, such as apparitions being spotted. Phantom coaches drawn by two headless horsemen. In 1927, the rectory became vacant, and the following year the Reverend Guy Smith and his wife moved in. It was not long before the weirdness started. Smith's wife was cleaning out a cupboard and found a brown paper package containing the skull of a young woman. Pretty soon after this grisly discovery, the spooks upped their game a bit, and there were many incidents such as servants' bells ringing despite being disconnected, ghost carriages being seen outside and various apparitions. The family contacted one of the worst newspapers in the UK, that being the Daily Mail, for help, and they sent a member of the Society for Psychical Research in the name of Harry Price, and he arrived on the 12th of June 1929. I'm not sure if the ghost liked him or not, as there was a sudden increase in activity on his arrival, including poltergeist activity, which until now had been noticeably lacking. The Smiths understandably had enough of the hauntings and decided to move somewhere else. The 14th of July, 1929. For obvious reasons, the parish had some difficulty in finding a replacement. The following year, the Reverend Lionel Algernon of Foister, a first cousin of the Bulls, and his wife Marianne, uh, or Mary Anne Emily Rebecca Shaw, moved into the rectory with their adopted daughter Adelaide on the 16th of October, 1930. 
So, what escapades did they encounter? Well, Lionel Foister wrote an account of various strange incidents that occurred between the time the Foisters moved in and October 1935, all of which were sent to Harry Price. Our shop list of spookiness now also includes bell ringing, window shattering, throwing of stones and bottles, wall writing and the locking of their daughter in a room with no key, which we assume to be paranormal and not just accidentally losing a key because a child was really annoying. I'm not sure social services accepts demonic spirits as a reasonable excuse for neglect, but well worth a try. Marianne Foister witnessed a large number of hauntings and spookiness, and like a stereotypical woman of her times, did the best thing she could. She reported it to the man at the house. He, being the brave, heroic type that he was, had the whole tale of poltergeist phenomena recounted to him. That included her being thrown from her bed. I am sure he put this down to hysterical madness or women's problems, like any gentleman of the time would have done, claiming it was all stuff and nonsense and for all to get a grip. However, it was not long until Adelaide was attacked by something horrible. Now, being the head of the house, he needed to act sensibly, so he got an expert in. No, of course he didn't. He thought, I'll save a few pounds to get a budget exorcism. Foister tried twice to conduct an exorcism, but his efforts were fruitless. It was during the first exorcism that he was struck in the shoulder by a fist-sized stone. During all of this, a highly respected journal of integrity and truth catalogues the incidents, the Daily Mail. Anyone from the UK is currently finding this mildly humorous right now, as the likelihood of reading anything truthful in the Daily Mail is roughly the same as Donald Trump saying anything that makes sense or has any element of truth to it. I hope that explains the situation. The Daily Mail coverage of these incidents attracted the attention of several psychic researchers. Unsurprisingly, they all decided, after investigation, that they had suspected that all the incidents were caused consciously or unconsciously by Marianne Foister. She was not so much in agreement with them, for later said that she felt that some of the incidents were caused by her husband alongside some of the psychic researchers. She did, however, think that other events appeared to her to be genuine paranormal phenomena. In true East Enders soap opera style, however, she also admitted she was having a sexual relationship with the lodger, Frank Peerless, and that she used the ghostly paranormal explanations to cover up any suspicious noises. The Foisters eventually left Borley in October 1935 as a result of Lionel Foisters being ill. The investigations and the hauntings continued until the 27th of February 1939, when the new owner of the rectory, Captain W.H. Gregson, was unpacking boxes. And his tenancy did not last much longer, as he accidentally knocked over an oil lamp in the hallway. The fire quickly spread and the house was pretty much destroyed. After investigating the cause of the fire, the insurance company came to the conclusion that the fire had been started deliberately. The night of the fire, witnesses claimed to have seen so many ghosts watching the blaze that no one could tell how many different spooks apparently haunted their building. Well, that is all well and good and an excellent miniature history lesson on one of the most famous hauntings of all time, but what has this got to do with the paranormal tourist quest to get you to investigate free places? I shall explain. By telling you more about the hauntings and hopefully in that explanation you will see that it is possible to go along to the site and find some possible new spooks or just meet the strange floating roller skating nun type ghost that we have come to love. Don't panic, as far as I know there are no more black shucks associated with this tale, just floaty nuns. The church may possibly be open for the business of having a chat with your deity of choice 
And if it is, then you might be treated to a concert as well. In the early 1980s, a couple who had moved away from Borley in the 1930s made a return visit with their now 25-year-old daughter. They did a quick tour of where the rectory used to be and then headed to the church. Whilst on their way, they heard what sounded like the organist playing Handel's Largo. They hoped to get in and enjoy a quick mini-concert, but were disappointed on arrival at the porch as the music stopped. They walked in to find no one at the organ and the organ cover locked. The church itself was also completely empty. The poltergeist from the rectory seems to have taken a fancy to organ music and followed them as, all of a sudden, they were attacked by being pelted by small pebbles coming from above where they stood. They tried to ascertain the source of the pebbles and failed, so rather hastily left the church. This is not the only spook in the church, as witnesses have also spotted a tall man in old-fashioned clothes. He has been seen by a group of ghost hunters from London, as well as many locals. The group reported seeing a man smoking an old-fashioned pipe while standing under a tree in the churchyard. Obviously, social distancing and upholding the indoor smoking ban. After some research, one of them later claimed that he discovered that the figure resembled Harry Bull, one-time owner of the rectory in this horror story's Act One character. A phantom nun also walks the area, likely to be the same entity seen along Nun's Walk. What nun? I hear you shout in horror. No, you didn't do it. I know you didn't do it, don't pretend. The site of Borley Rectory is still haunted by the nun who haunted the building whilst it was still standing, though seen a lot less often and fading with time now. This is apparently more likely to occur on the 28th of July, and by now you all know my attitude to calendar ghosts, and if you don't, then either you've not been paying attention, or this is the first one of my books that you've read, and I ask, why did you start on the B2 book instead of A? We've heard many tales of headless horsemen and coachmen from the Borley site, and we've found a reason for it. Borley Rectory Cottage has been reported many times as being haunted. Normally, ghost hunters claim that you've made a mistake and you're talking about the now-missing building, but no, researchers have told me that Rectory Cottage was built early in the 1930s, but over the top of an old inn that was demolished in 1799. It was during the 18th century that there was a murder at the inn, and because of this, two coachmen were beheaded. The research is pretty thin, I know, and stops about there, so we don't know if there was a serial killer who stopped after lobbing off two heads, or even if it was just one accident or two different times. We've never been accused of overly researching our stories here at Paranormal Towers. Now, some spooks that are completely pointless, as we cannot investigate them, but I thought you'd like the tales. Yes, Borley is considered to be a small village, but it is packed full of tales for the avid spook spotter with many paranormal spots and buildings that are allegedly haunted. The local school building is supposed to have the sound of ghost children within its walls. People have contacted the authorities as they heard crying from children late at night from within the building, and people assumed some child had been unwittingly locked in. There are stories from all over Borley, and I will list a few that you cannot investigate, but as we're talking about the place, we may as well include them, just to show you what an interesting haunted location you are in if you manage to get here, and we're not in an actual lockdown in the UK. Not far from Borley Lodge, don't go too far, we will return to the infamous Borley Lodge in a moment. There is a 17th century cottage, and sadly, that is all I have regarding the address. In this cottage, there is a window at which an old lady has been seen staring forlornly out at the passing world. If you wave at her, she disappears. 
If you are wandering about the place, be as friendly as possible and wave at everyone you can see. Also, do not walk up to the people's windows, stare in and ask, are you a ghost? This cottage is also reportedly haunted by some form of evil entity, and that is all the description I have of this entity, so no idea what it does. Perhaps they just have a cranky old lady who doesn't like people staring at her through the window. Perkis Farm on Borley Green is an old establishment dating back to pre-Civil War times, and we may have actually had some skirmishes fought in and around it. This battle has been heard replaying itself over the years, including gunfire heard within the walls of the old farmhouse itself. The owners even claim to have found lead musket balls in the grounds. Sadly, we cannot get into the buildings to investigate, but there have been reports over the years of shadowy figures, moans and groans, and figures walking through the walls. A ghost that we possibly see if we're anywhere near the place is a cavalier, as he has been seen outside, and it is claimed he's running while stooping over, as if he is some bad American action movie actor with thousands of people shooting at him and always just missing. He may possibly be the same cavalier ghost that haunts another building not too far from here, that being Borley Lodge. I told you we'd come back. Borley Lodge is a 15th century building, and the reports I have read claim it's haunted by a cavalier, possibly the same one avoiding musket shots outside Perkis Farm. We don't know. It's thought that he may be a survivor from the Battle of Naseby, taking refuge in a royalist sympathiser's house. He did not, however, manage to hide for long, as Cromwell's roundheads found him and, unsurprisingly, killed him. This ghost has been seen ever since, on the long landing within the building. We may stand a chance of seeing him as he stops at the window and looks outside. At the time of researching this, the family who owns the house are related to or direct descendants of the owners at the time of the battle. So therefore, the ghost either knew one of the ancestors or is related to the current owners in some form, and one theory is that having some form of genetic link may help the spook manifest in some way. The Civil War was not a particularly happy time in Borley, and there is a rather gruesome legend involving nuns and priests. One specific priest was called Dominic. Or Enoch. Two names that are obviously easy to confuse for some reason. Anyway, he and a nun were all loved up and having secret assignations. These meetings were obviously not secret enough as they were discovered. Obviously, they were sat down in a calm and sensible manner, and an intervention occurred, and everyone saw sense and ended the affair, which is a much nicer way of saying the nun was subsequently murdered and the priest was nailed to a cross, as you do. The priest was having a particularly unpleasant time being crucified in Borley Church, but salvation came along when he was half dead, in the form of Cromwellian soldiers, for they cut him down. Oh, what a relief, what heroic soldiers, what... Ah, they hung him upside down in a nearby well. Three days later, they returned and cut the rope, allowing his body to drop to the water below. They then stole the church plate, killed many villagers, burnt down a few cottages, weighed down several more and threw them into the pond to drown. As we said, this is a legend, so there's possibility it never happened at all, as we see many nun and priest stories all over the country suffering rather grisly fates when their forbidden love is discovered. Nuns have a particularly good skill at cropping up in ghost stories, as do monks, but not too many priests, so if you want to become a ghost in the future and have any theological ambitions, then go for monkdom or nunning as a career option rather than priesthood. There are lots of phantom nun tales in Borley, 
and there may be more than one nun, as some reports tell of a, a nun-type figure that's dressed in green, which may refer to a novice nun, and another that's dressed in blue. Both have been seen near the church. Please contact us if you have any other colourful nuns, as we would love to get an entire pride flag of nuns all parading towards the church. Opposite the old church, there was a barn that farmhands claimed to have been in when looking out saw a dozen misty figures pass by, and then they disappeared at the edge of the pond. The tale does not tell us if any of these figures were somehow weighted down, but one has to assume that it relates in some way. Lots of ghost hunting groups eventually find their way to Borley, and the reports over the years have produced fascinating incidents, but mostly people getting spooked in the dark and catching colds. These spook-spotting groups have reported blue floating lights, noises and voices with no one there to make them. Failing equipment, this is very common, and most of the time it's batteries in the cold malfunctioning or draining. Lots of shadowy figures and the occasional bits of poltergeist activity. One thing I found through looking the records are a few cases of tape recorders getting damaged, so don't take really expensive ones as they often get thrown around and going back to tape days, the tape itself has been pulled from the cassettes. One unfortunate group had a tape recorder smashed whilst in the church porch, even though no one was there. If you manage to get into the church but there is no phantom organ recital happening, then you might not be too disappointed as there are also reports of figures near the altar along with strange noises. One group even claimed to have seen a dimly lit door open and someone walk through it, and on closer inspection, realised there was no door. Hopefully you can get to socially distance yourself in Borley whilst investigating a copious amount of spookiness. At least here there should not be hordes of holidaymakers all thinking they are immune from disease. The southwest of England is the one place that's done comparatively well at making sure they do not get too infected. However, over the summer the Covid case numbers dramatically increased as all the tourists who could not go on holiday to Spain and Italy decided to have a staycation some of which ended up on a secluded little spot called Burra or Berg Island, which sounds Scottish, but it's not. It's in Devon. Whilst researching the island, or promontory, it's not exactly easy to find anything that might be truthful. However, it is mentioned in the early records and maps of South Devon when it's referred to as St Michael's Island. It later became Burra Island, and then this was corrupted to Burg Island, B-U-R-G-H, and it's called both nowadays. It's thought that a monastery was founded on the island, and a lot of the remains of this monastery are now incorporated into the current hotel. If you'd wished to stay on the island before the expense of a hotel, then you would have visited the Pilchard Inn, as it's thought this was built for guest lodgings for visitors to the monastery. It was the Pilchard Inn that became the pub of choice for the pirate Tom Crocker, it's the ghostly form of this pirate that is reputedly haunting the area. He made this area his lair in the living world due to the fact that for half of the day the land would be cut off from the mainland and he loved it so much that he still comes once a year on holiday. He's supposed to visit during the third week of August. This is a calendar ghost that is supposed to commemorate the death of the pirate when he was shot dead by the revenue man on the porch of the inn on the 14th of August. It's said that his restless ghost has been sighted outside the Pilchard Inn and also wandering aimlessly on the shores of Berg Island. The hotel was extremely popular and has attracted many celebrities. Edward came here with Mrs Simpson 
Agatha Christie used it as a setting for several scenes in her novels. Other visitors have included Noel Coward and Winston Churchill. But it's the ghost of Tom Crocker that haunts this little island. Little is known of Tom, except that he was a notorious smuggler who made Berg Island his base and the pilchard in his favourite haunt. Folklore tells us that after a lengthy career, Tom was shot dead by revenue men on the 14th of August in the port of the Pilchard Inn. His ghost is said to return to haunt the island every year on the anniversary of his death. If we're being tourists, then let's have some other history. During World War II, there were fears of Germans landing forces using the island as a beachhead during World War II. This resulted in the area becoming fortified with anti-tank defences and two pillboxes. They were positioned on both sides of the causeway. An observation post was also established on the summit to monitor the coastline. From my observation, I can see in the studio now that a band are trying to get in. They look remarkably like Frankenstein's lobster, which means any moment now... Oh, yes, there it is, the theme tune, of course. But I'm supposed to be in here recording more of the show. Oh, well, no time now. So instead, I'll give you all a treat. That being Danny interviewing the one and only Naked Nana. We will be featuring more and more interviews with you folks out there about your paranormal experiences, so so feel free to get in touch on Twitter at Paratourists or on our Facebook page at The Paranormal Tourists and, and tell us about the spooks near you. But until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep spook spotting, and goodbye! and welcome to the Paranormal Tourist Fan Fact, which is a little addendum we're adding on whilst we are writing our book called Paranormal Tourist Fan Fact. Well, that was a seamless intro. I don't need Tom. Now, Tom Jordan, our host, is not here, and uh, Ross Andrews, our paranormal expert, is also not here. So you're stuck with me, Danny McGellan, the other one. We've got a very exciting guest for our first fan fact interview. You know her as Naked Nana from several stories, and I may have to fill her in on that. And at this point, I just want to apologise for if you listen back to any of it. Especially, there's been a recent episode go out. I don't know when this will go out, but there's a recent episode where I talk about the kitchen incident, okay. which is sort of where the nickname came from. I ended up like offering people to go round to your house, which was weird. But it's fine. She also has her own name. It's Carol. Hello, Carol. Hello, Danielle. <laughs> She's also my mum, so this is strangely formal, but I'm keeping it that way. So, we'll talk about your paranormal experiences, of which you've had many. Yeah. But first, do you want to give us your insight from that night? Do I have to? You don't have to. <laughs> what? Have... And that's all we've got time for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, Danielle. Um, yeah. It was... No. <laughs> no, I didn't no. think you would. Okay, fine. Well, we'll go straight to... So one of the other stories I've shared on the podcast before is, and you'll be able to fill us in with better details, is when you were younger, when you were a teenager, you did a Ouija board. Is that right? Yes. Tell me about it. Well, it was in my sister's house. Um, she was married, had two little ends, and I used to stay there because it wasn't far from where I went to school. And one lunchtime... Um, myself and a couple of friends decided to go around to Auntie Trisha's and do a Ouija board, as you would, <laughs> in your lunch hour. Fair enough. Um, oh, it was your lunch hour at yes, school? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then we were doing this Ouija board, and of course, it started moving as it does. Classic. And all of a sudden, the dog made this really weird noise, and we absolutely 
pooed ourselves <laughs> through the Ouija board to one side and that was it. And never touched it again. Never touched it again. But I was terrified that we'd let something into my sister's house. Or, or into your sister's dog. Well, yeah. Was, it was the dog a, ever the same was, again? <laughs> well, I don't think it survived what's happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. Wow. Okay. And did it, do you remember it spelling anything out like, uh, frightening or? Yes, it, it did. It's, it, I can't remember because actually I was about 12. So it was 700 years ago. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'd no, like the, it was let few... the record show it was about 14 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> you were going to tell me what it spelled yeah, out. Yeah, it was, yeah, it spelled out a name and I can't remember the name, but I know one of the girls freaked out over this name. Oh, okay. And we were being quite cynical about it, but then the dog made, made this the noise. weird noise, which I'd never heard it make before. And then we discarded it and. <laughs> <laughs> Never say, seen again. Never, never. <laughs> and you've had quite a few paranormal experiences in your life, haven't you? Yes, there was one actually when Christopher was little. Christopher, it, just to fill everyone in, is my little brother. Who's now 26. <laughs> um, he must have been, well, I lived in Hottlecote. I was there and it was Christopher's bedtime and I saw him in the dining room, which is just before you get to the stairs. And I said, Chris, I shouted at him to get to bed and he didn't come out. So I went into the dining room and he wasn't there. I looked all under the table. He wasn't there. Ooh. I went upstairs and he was fast asleep in bed. You're joking. No. And that is, I feel like I should point out your, your old house, um, the one that Nana's referring to is uh, the, the dining room. You couldn't have... He couldn't have just been sleepwalking and snuck out without no, you seeing because it was he a closed ran, off he room. He ran into the dining room. It, it looked like Christopher ran into the dining room and I was coming out of the lounge and I saw him and I, I actually shouted, Christopher, get to bed, <laughs> as you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, went into the dining room. It was nowhere to be seen. And I went upstairs thinking how the hell did he get past me and he was fast asleep in bed <gasps> oh. but i didn't think anything of it at the time however another story which i'm going to tell you about the manor house where jenny lived yeah and this is very near so this is in a um a small village called southern which is very near um presbury which as uh, frequent flyers of the paranormal tourists will know is the most haunted village in england so this is nearby there in nearby southern it's yeah. not really an area you because we tend to on the paranormal tourists talk about places people can walk around and yeah. southern's not particularly you can go past the manor house it's on the main road but um it's not an area you can really walk around but well, the manor house, it's Southern Manor House, not the Presbury Manor House. The Southern Manor House is hundreds of years old, and I can't remember what it dates back to. I wish I could. I wish I'd looked up before this conversation. We can, we can find out, and I'll yeah. link it in the... Because I know that they used to... I don't know whether it was the Romans or somebody like that. I was staying with my friend at the time because her husband had gone to Ireland. Jenny and I should have gone to Paris for the weekend, but we stayed... Decided her. Southern was more exciting. So I went over to the to her house, and this manor house. It's I remember when we lived in Southern that we used to they used to open it up for tours. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. I remember walking around it as a as a child yeah. about sort of six or seven. Exactly, and it was really lovely. Now apparently, in the main 
lounge. Jenny and I sat one chair at either side of the fireplace, but this fireplace was huge. And in the side of the fireplace, there was this, what would you call it? It was like a shape which came down from upstairs. And that's apparently where they used to come down at the side of the chimney, go underneath the building. What, people? Yeah, the, the Normans have... I think it was the Normans. I can't remember. We'll look exactly. it up. We'll, we'll yeah, correct we'll all of it. this. We'll Unfortunately, paranormal expert Ross Andrews isn't here and he tends to know more about this kind of thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and they used to slide down to hide from the enemy. And you know the little church across the road? Yes. They all used to go towards the church <gasps> underground. So in the fireplace, that's how big it is. Yeah. Anyway, Jenny had lit the fire and we were sat there drinking Prosecco. <laughs> as you do <laughs> nice detail I like, yes. the, I like the specificity um, now Jenny had two dogs and they used to stay in the kitchen now the kitchen was an extension of the manor house so a newer part of the building yeah so they would stay in the kitchen they wouldn't come into the lounge oh I see because they're supposed to be susceptible to it aren't they yeah we, we were chatting and all of a sudden Jenny turned around to me and said oh that wasn't your son that was your brother I said, what are you talking about? She said, that figure you saw at home, because I still live oh, there. Oh, right. Wasn't your son, because you know I had the two miscarriages. Yeah. And I said, maybe it was, you know, my, the soul coming back. She said, it wasn't your son, it was your brother. Now, I'd never told her. I'd never told her I'd seen this figure. And she just out of the blue? She just came out of the blue and said, that wasn't your son, that was your brother. <gasps> now, my mum had two boys that I think they died at birth. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And and then she turned around and said, and also your mum forgives you um, because it wasn't your fault. Because if you remember when mum came and she was being sick, we'd just eaten and she was sick in the toilet. And I said, oh, and mum cleaned it up. And I let her because I couldn't bear the sick. Yeah, mum, mum, so um, Nana is not a big fan of uh, vomit. I remember that. <laughs> vomit or blood. <laughs> Yeah, and definitely or not. Anything and else. definitely not both. <laughs> yeah. And she said, Your mum forgives you. Now, she didn't know about that either. Mm. Mm. Anyway, we were sat chatting, and then Jenny said, Oh, I'll just go and feed the dogs. Oh, no, before she did that, there was, and it was only the two of us in this house. It's a big house. It's a huge, huge house. And the dogs were in the kitchen. And upstairs, I heard somebody walking. And I said to Jenny, what's that? Because I thought, well, maybe it's her husband who's gone back. Cause... And she said, oh, don't worry. That's Now, I refer to him now as Gilbert. But apparently, when the manor house, a hundred or so years ago, the proprietor, he got one of the maids pregnant or something. And he was a nasty, nasty character. And one of the bedrooms had burnt down, um, had burnt completely. Wow. And she said, oh, don't worry, that's just him. He, he, he walks around every now and then. And it was, I, I thought, okay, <laughs> oh, okay, okay, that's fine. That's so strange. I remember when we did a tour there once and you and I were walking, was there a bit where there was like stairs and then a bit and then stairs again? Yeah, yeah. So I remember we were walking down there and that was upstairs mm. and we thought there was someone behind us. And we turned round and there wasn't anyone behind yeah. us. Well, Jenny's had um, friends there and they'd been pushed out of this room. We we had a drink and then she went... This was after I'd heard somebody walking upstairs and, and I swear on my own life there was somebody upstairs walking. It wasn't just 
it was like that. That's uh, Nana doing her own sound effects. That's, yeah. <laughs> so then I said, oh, hello, Gilbert, as you do. <laughs> as, you went, do. Yeah. as you do. Amazing. As you do. I'll chat to anybody, <laughs> whether it's in the spirit world or as a or friend. Or in real life. <laughs> So Jenny went into the kitchen to feed the dogs and get some more Prosecco. And I was sitting there and and behind my chair was the door leading towards the stairs. Right. And it had one of these locks on that you have to really push down to open the door. Oh, yeah. Like where the bar goes across. Yeah. 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 So your thumb on the switch and you push it right down. Yeah. But you had to because it was quite deep down. Mm. And I was sat there, and this door, the handle went down and opened. Oh, wow. So it wasn't just that the door opened. The no, handle, you heard the, the handle, handle go. went down, it clicked oh. and opened. And I shot into the kitchen. <laughs> I can imagine. That. As you do. <laughs> were you, I mean, were you clothed at the time? Because you've got a bit of a reputation from my anecdote. <laughs> no, so I was clothed. You, okay. I was clothed. All right, just it's for, only accuracy, that one time. for historical accuracy. Well, I was just checking on you at the time yeah. when I was on clothes. <laughs> I was creeping up on you. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you finally admitted it. Yeah. So then um, Jenny started laughing and she said, oh, that's probably Gilbert. She didn't call him Gilbert. She called him by his proper name. Right. I referred to him as Gilbert. Oh, that's probably him messing around trying to frighten you. And I said, oh, what frightened me? So then we sat down and we started talking again, having more Prosecco. And she said, come on, I'll give you a tour of upstairs. So we went upstairs. I was fine because Jenny was there and it wasn't that dark yet. We went into the room that had been burnt, that had had the fire in, and it smelled to me as if the fire had just gone out. Really? the, The smoke and everything, it was really that strong, the smell. Wow. And I said that to Jenny and she said... If you want, you can sleep in this bed because it had been all freshly. She had several bedrooms. And I said, not on your nelly. (laughs) (laughs) You're all right. And then she had stones around in this room, which I didn't quite understand what she was saying, but it was like a a protection. Right, okay, yeah. And that's when she told me that one friend had gone in there and and she'd been pushed right out of the room, this friend. So she showed me that room. She told me when the fire was, and again, you will probably be able to find out in Mm. the history of the manor house. Anyway, we went back downstairs and had more Prosecco. (laughs) And then Jenny said, uh, you know, it's getting a bit late, so we went up to bed. At this stage, I was terrified. (laughs) (laughs) So Jenny was going into her bedroom, and I said, and she said, oh, you sleep on the top because that's that room is... The quietest, it's really lovely. There's nothing ever goes on in there. And it was quite a big double bed. And I said, no way, you're not, I'm not staying anywhere in this house on my own. <laughs> so I made her sleep with me. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so when we went to bed, I we were laughing and joking, not for very long. And I had one of those phones, you know, the old phones that folded over. Oh, flip phone, yeah. Yeah, and you couldn't phone out, dial out. Yeah, you can't do an accidental. No. I was that scared. And even though I couldn't see the light of the phone because it was folded over, I put it under my pillow (laughs) because I was that scared. Anyway, Jenny went off to sleep and I was just dozing off. And then at the side of me, there's this table and it was on the side of the table oh honestly I didn't sleep a wink that night 
So Jenny, I woke her up, <laughs> took me ages because she was in such a deep sleep. And I said, Jenny, <laughs> I said, oh, don't tell me um, they're playing games. And I thought, ooh, <laughs> who's playing games? They, amazing. Yeah. So anyway, she went back to sleep and I couldn't sleep a wink. I thought, I'm not staying here another night. The next morning, we got up. I was that scared. I didn't even have a shower or anything. I just left. But before I left, she cooked me some breakfast in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, um, that is traditionally where breakfast is made. Yeah, well, there was in the main lounge, there was a big table that they would sometimes eat. Oh, from. I see what you mean. I thought, yeah. But I thought, <laughs> no, you're all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the kitchen. There was missed calls from Neil. This is mum's husband. And when I phoned him, he said, I thought, I thought you weren't going out last night. And I said, I haven't. And he said, well, you phoned me several times and I was listening to you and there was this bloat's voice in the background. <gasps> and I said, seriously, we have not been out. And he said, well, you've called me loads of times. And one what, time, in the middle of the night? In the middle of the night. And he said... He did say what time, and I can't remember. It was quite late, early in the morning. I said, seriously? And I said to Jenny, and I, I was showing it to Jenny, and I said, can you see any calls that have gone from my phone? And she said, there's no calls gone from your phone. <gasps> and he said, seriously, you phoned me. It must have been about 10 times, but there was one where it went on and on and on. Oh, like an answer phone message, you mean? Or he picked up? Uh, no, he picked up as if I'd left it on and he could hear Jenny laughing and this bloke's voice and he thought we'd gone out and he heard this bloke's voice. So it sounded like you were out and... Out, and th but this voice. So I said, this is ridiculous. I said, look, there's, Jenny, look, there's no calls gone from my phone That's at so all. strange. But when I got home, I looked like death. And um, and Neil showed me his phone, and there so, were received and calls. And there were calls from my phone, and I showed him my phone, and I said, "You tell me when I've done those calls, because look." And he said, "Okay, listen to this," and he let me listen to the recording, and you could hear Jenny laughing, and another girl's voice, which may have been mine, I don't know, and then in all of a sudden, this voice horrendous bloat's voice and it was so evil and I threw my phone away um, his phone away and I what said what did the voice say? It, 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 it wasn't it didn't say anything it was almost like a growl it was really horrible. oh my goodness so Neil a friend of his at work at the time called Chris used to do tours for haunted places you know, oh okay these, and um and he he gave the phone to Chris and he said, my God, I've never seen this before. So he said, could he could he and Neil stay at the manor house? And did they? No, because um, by that time, Jenny's husband had come back. And I said, I'm not, there's no way. I can't even look at that building as I go past. I am that scared. Wow. Because I think the room that was burnt down was something to do with Somebody was killed in there, and I think it's to do with the bloke. Yeah, I feel like I remember that from the tour. And there was... We'll be um, able to find out to yeah, fill in the gaps. And apparently anybody who buys the manor house, because if you remember, it was always going up for sale. Mm. And even Jenny's husband couldn't stay in there without all the music. Now, he moved in there with his wife. 
they split up. And apparently this spirit is the one who's creating all this animosity between couples so they don't stay together. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the story behind it. <gasps> so I've never, ever, you know, I said stay to Jenna... Stay there again. I said to Jenna I would never stay and there And she again. doesn't live there anymore, does she? No, she's moved to... Mind you, she's moved to a, an equally... It's a brand new build, but it was her father-in-law who built it, and it, um, I could feel his presence in there when I go. It's so oppressive. It's an absolutely awful, awful place. It's brand new. Wow. I mean, if you saw it, you think, wow, this is a nice place. But as I walk Bad juju. Here, yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't until I stayed at that manor house that I truly... I, I thought there could be something out there, and, you know, I think that's why I wasn't scared when I saw... which I thought was Christopher running to the dining room. You know, I was quite sceptical, but nobody could ever tell me any different after I stayed in that manor house. Mm. Yeah, well, same with um, my experience with that book. Do you remember the haunted book? Yeah, in the flat. Since then, nobody's really... As as much as I have a healthy dose of kind of scientific understanding and belief mm. um, about certain things, after that night, there's a part of me that's like, but, but. Yeah, but there is another... Um, I remember when I lived at home with mum and dad and Chris and I shared a room. Uh, Chris is uh, mum's sister. Yeah. Just fill in the uh, family tree. And Trish is my other sister. And I woke up and I saw Trish walk across the beds. Never told you this. And I thought about this last night and I shouted her. And then this bright light went into the corner of the room. Oh, really? And, it, and Trish wasn't there. <gasps> wasn't Trish. That was where we lived on Langley, Middleton. Oh, wow. Um, but again, I, I just thought, you know, I'd just woken up. But I knew that I'd seen Trish. Yeah. Although she wasn't there. And then it was just this light. God. Which, of course, I'd never heard of orbs before. <laughs> Anyway, so I think we will have to end it there. Uh, but we that's that's great. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. And I'm sure this won't be the last time I force you to sit down and talk about them um, or push you into having like your tarot cards read or something like that for uh, for something. Yeah. And hopefully we're going to be, um, obviously we're still in sort of lurgy lockdown. And that's why also you can probably hear some noises from the outside as we're recording this outside socially distanced. Or Of course, uh, mum and I aren't socially distancing she's in my family bubble but we are still um recording outside and being as safe as possible and a lot of the interviews are going to be either online or outside but we are hoping to do some live events over the next few months obviously they will be all in the guidelines and so everything's super safe uh, but more details of those will be coming up on our facebook page which is the paranormal tourist or you can catch us up on twitter at paratourists tourists with a s um there is a paratourist as well plural that's the word i was looking for <laughs> so you can find us on there and you can um listen to us on anchor youtube or spotify whichever is your hearing platform of choice that was clunky <laughs> but thank you very much naked nana i'm sorry that that's the nickname you've become like a paranormal tourist celebrity now and there's no going back there might even be merch <laughs> so we'll see how it goes but hopefully you, some of you might get a chance to meet Naked Nana at a uh, at an fully dressed obviously. fully dressed yeah that should be a caveat on all of our event uh, advertising <laughs> uh, but we'll keep you posted and maybe you can um, in fact we also have our, our two kind of celebrities of the podcast 
are you, Naked Nana, and then our number one fan, John. So maybe at some point we'll get you both together at the same time and Who's people John? can... I won't give his full name so he doesn't get hounded by the press. Oh, John. But John. Oh, John. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that is um, thank you from me. Thank and you. Thank you from me. <laughs> thank you for listening. Keep spooking. And oh, oh, I think... Can you can you hear that music? I think I think the dulcet tones of Frankenstein's lobster is just coming in. Can you hear that? Can you hear yeah, that? Yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye now. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>